Right, first of all, I just want to say, far from me drinking a lot, um, what a privilege it is to be here. Um, it's not often that I get asked to speak anywhere. Chris has been at the only actual conference that I actually got to speak at, so it's kind of nice. It was like 10 minutes, get up there, and he happened to be there, so it works out for all of us. Um, but it's always nice to visit churches and visit people, um, and to be trusted more so to open the Word of God is something else. Although I was told that it would be all, all good as long as I preach shorter than Chris, um, everyone would be happy. I, I think it was 52 minutes the other week, mate. That's right. So I've got about 51 and a half. We'll be sweet. Uh, the other reason why it was nice to be invited was that I had to leave a home pretty early this morning. I got in the car at about 5am this morning and considering that I'm not a morning person, you might wonder why that is so good. Um, well, last night was actually my youngest daughter, so it's her 18th birthday party last night. Uh, so it was nice to be able to get in the car and put on some country music and just drive. I love country music, don't judge me. In fact, I like any kind of music. Um, I float between heavy metal, which is normally where I spend most of my time, to classical, uh, from country to a bit of rap, uh, classic rock to some pop, throwing some good worship music. Okay, good, I've got to emphasize that. Uh, with a lot of Johnny Cash, and I am somewhere in the middle of that eclectically in my musical taste. I love music, okay, and I love to sing. Like, love it. In fact, when I was 12, I was given a Walkman, um, not a Discman. Okay, if you don't want to know what a Walkman is, Google it. Um, it wasn't even a labelled up Walkman. It wasn't. It was a knockoff. My dad was a truck driver, so I'd probably fallen off the back of the truck somewhere, but it was the most amazing present I could ever hope for. Um, that gift, and you, you know, raise your hand if it was, this was like it was you, you had, had you believing and dreaming that you could be singing in a band, right? Yeah, that was it. Um, either on stage, in a production, or in a, in a concert, you thought that could be you, right? Um, it would have been me this morning, sitting in the car, only that my wife was with me, and she sort of has a realistic opinion of my singing. <laughs> but, you know, you'd normally be driving along or, or listening to that even now, and you might think that uh, I could be an Australian Idol, or The Voice, you have some kind of dream that something happens and you actually can sing. Maybe you've actually picked out your set list or that song that you'd get up there in front of the judges and you belt out for the first time. Now, I never said I was any good at singing. Never said that. But there is something that it unlocks in, in us when we sing. Here's the thing. My music selection is based a lot on my mood or where my mind is at. What I choose to listen to is really based on my emotions and my situation. And often, what is inside bursts out. Just like a Disney princess in awe of life, you know, all of a sudden you start singing and little birds come along. It just depends on your frame of mind and your emotions. So why do I bring it up? Um, we're kicking off this series here this morning, as Chris said, looking at some of the songs of praise. Basically looking at some of the greatest psalms and how they lead to praise. Now we know that the psalms are often songs that need to be sung. Uh, and we might look at them as if they're just poetry, but they're not. Right now, there are over 400 verses in the Bible about singing. There are over 50 clear commands about singing. For many, commands around singing are great, you know. For others, it feels like a wall that is impossible to get past. Some people love to sing in church, and other people don't. Some people love to sing anywhere, let's face it, absolutely anywhere, 
But what you find is that singing seems to, this, to be this standalone idea of what we do on a Sunday. An extra item that actually needs to be done. See, praising God together is not a time to miss as long as you make it for the sermon or a time to skip out on early. Like I said, love to sing. But for many years, I felt actually awkward singing in church. Uh, but I had no problem bursting out my best Johnny Cash or a little Bohemian Rhapsody. Admit it, we all love taking the lead for a little Will You Do the Fandango. But that was, that was enough. But Psalm 100 verse 1 and 2 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. It doesn't say if you're good or the noise you make needs to be awesome. God knows he gave the gift to some and not to others. John Boyce said, The servants of the Lord are to sing his praises in this life to the world's end and in the next life, world without end. It's not about us performing, uh, it's about you receiving. Okay, see, that's the big confusion around corporate praise through singing. Uh, and that's why we have so many performances rather than joyful noises. Now, let's just get a little bit crazy, okay? Um, with all this, there's more truth in a song that we sing on Sunday, even if you don't like it in our gathering, than any song you'll sing along with on Triple J or Smooth FM or a Taylor Swift concert. More truth. God has wired us in such a way that when we sing and when we sing together and then we sing about the truths of God, it's for our benefit. God knows that we're the ones that, he need, that need it, so he commands it. Now, he's got the voices of angels that could sing to him. He knows that we need it. It's about our good and ultimately our joy. Even if it's for a moment um, that anxiety or fear or sorrow are eased. Even if at that moment the words you sing break your heart all the more because you are overcome with emotion, it's for your good. Maybe for just the, the four or the six songs we sing together on a Sunday, you're able to just exhale. Maybe it's the only time during the whole week that you actually stop and praise God. And here lies the problem. Because often our singing comes from our emotions, you know, it comes out of us, erupts out of us. Nothing can bring on song like those emotions. And then we look at Psalm 145 and you have a problem. Because Psalm 145 is a song of praise, if not the song of praise. And I read it and at times I can just never, ever imagine being able to sing this praise. In fact, at times, so many of us may seem like this would be impossible for us, for this to come out of us. But this psalm is not in Scripture just for those who find praise easy. You know those people, right? Um, I'm sure she's not watching the stream. So my mother-in-law is one of these people. Okay, life is awesome. Life is awesome. They just roll from one joyous thing to the next. They love their jobs. Their kids might be awesome. They give all the right answers in Sunday school. Every day is just another chance to have a household full of people and just be busy and flutter around. Um, God bless those folks. This psalm is not only for them, but it's also for the rest of us. Because this kind of praise is hard for me to get to. See, I seem to be on a perpetual roundabout of a slog. 
It's the easiest way to put it. Uh, last week, uh, we went to the funeral of a mate who committed suicide. That's not an uncommon thing. I now get to talk to his 22-year-old son about why God is a good God. Weekly, I see marriages in ruins, churches that struggle, you know, not able to even care for their pastors in any way, shape or form, teenagers harming themselves, grown men absolutely crushed by anxiety that have never suffered from it before. In fact, mental health in our church um, would have to be at least 75% people are directly, if not indirectly, but pretty much directly affected by mental health in some way, shape or form. I don't sleep much at any point, so I love sleep more than music, but I don't seem to get any, so I'm always at this tired state of things. I look at this psalm and my emotions and my situation make me feel like I can't even say these words, let alone have them bursting out of my soul. Yet this is one of the reasons I need this psalm. Psalm 145 magnifies the greatness and the goodness of God. And I need to be reminded of that daily because a vision for God's greatness and goodness will help us overcome despair, anxiety and apathy. It will drive us by his spirit to praise. It gives you a gratitude for what has been done for you and is continually being done through you. So it's easy to look around the world and become so spent with everything, physically, emotionally, mentally and spiritually. You're impacted by the groaning of this creation, of the impacts of sin, and the evil one is always there prowling around waiting to pounce. Discouragement and hopelessness is everywhere today. And so many of these feelings grow out of a doubt of God's goodness and a disbelief disbelief in the greatness of God. One writer calls this a defeated weariness that we suffer. You effectively start to doubt God will do anything good, especially for you, and are not really going to be great if he does. So this psalm doesn't only reflect a pure delight in God and an overflowing from it. It is a psalm for those who need to be reminded of our God who loves us and who knows that we need to sing these praises in our hearts and out loud. See, when you read Psalm 145, your despair gets attacked. Your hopelessness gets confronted. We lift our eyes to our King, whose greatness is unsearchable. You can learn to hope again. You can learn to believe that this is my Father's world, and He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He is good and glorious. His provision and protection knows no limits. When we know this, the Spirit changes our affections and changes where our delight is found. And our praise is what comes from our hearts first and then our lips. It points back to to regain or to keep an awe of God. And that's what's important. Paul Tripp said, Every human being has been hardwired by God to live in daily awe of God. Now, this psalm is known about as an alphabet of praise, right? David, the writer of the psalm, begins each verse with, this, with a consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, David uses this method five times in five different psalms. Uh, maybe this helped him order his thoughts, like a, a structure for why he did it. I don't know. A limerick is about as far as my writing skills go. I could not ever conceive doing something like this. Calvin actually points out that some in the Jewish tradition um, believe that if you recite Psalm 145 three times a day with heart and lips, you would experience spiritual happiness 
and enjoy blessings uh, in this world and the world to come. Now imagine when you're confronted with the weight of this world, you would just recite this psalm. Straight away you'd go and you'd recite it to yourself or to out loud. Um, I'm not sure if you guys get homework. I know it's school holidays and a relief teacher never gives homework. Um, But for the next six weeks, for the next six weeks, read or listen to this psalm at least once a day, especially when things get tough, especially when you don't want to. And I know that it will bless you and bless the praise that will be, it'll be easier to find. So let's get into it and keep your Bibles open, uh, Psalm 145, because David calls this psalm, he starts it, uh, a song of praise of David. So he provides this introduction himself, his focus, we can see straight away it's on God. Nowhere else it's on God, it's not on a pragmatic response to his situation or to our day. He says, no matter what, this is where it is, it's a song of praise of David, praise is going to God. Now we're going to look at four reminders of praise of God in this psalm and we'll see how the gospel is the answer to demand our praise. So King David wants us to know that we need, and there's four things, if you're a note taker, we'll start here, um, praise God for his unsearchable greatness. Verse 1 says, I will exalt you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. God's greatness is the first thing to fan the flame of our affection for praise. Right? David's an earthly king. We think that this psalm was written, he's he's risen, he is the king. King David, he's sitting there, he's got quite a bit underneath him, he's sitting over the top of a lot, it's pretty important. But he knows that there is only one king. That God, the king, reigns and rules over all. Any other ruler doesn't have the glory that lasts. So it's only fitting that we exalt and bless his name now and forever. These expressions of praise are the first of many in this psalm. Just David keeps going and going with it. It's almost, if you're a little bit cynical, not that I am, maybe I am, um, it almost feels a little bit cheesy. See, David's personal praise is intended to stir up others to do the same. When you hear others talk about their, their week, and sometimes it might be tough, and then they talk, they're doing it, and they're doing it in such a way that they're actually praising God no matter what their circumstances. Right? Not those people that, that find it easy and have those great sort of idealistic things going on, but the people that are actually struggling along. And they point to God and go, but God's good. He's faithful. He's great. What does it do? It encourages you to think about what God's done for you, right? And once you start to do that, and we daily, we look towards Jesus, uh, we, we actually build and we point towards and we build one another up in our praise of a true king overall. So we have to decide to praise God. Because if we don't, we'll praise false gods whenever we can. It's not like the Psalms are only speaking to this small subset of of religious people who are interested in the topic of praise. They're speaking to every person that has ever lived. Verse 3, David continues to talk about the spectacular nature of God. 
Here's a great reason for us to praise God. Right? He's great. And his greatness is unsearchable. Now, great's a word that's overused today. It really is. Uh, what a great night. Great game. Great job. What a great guy. Here's the thing. All human displays of greatness pale in comparison to the greatness of God. It's only God that is truly great. God knows that we'll build up other things uh, to replace him or that we think will replace him. So David reminds us that God's greatness is unsearchable. Paul says in, in Romans 11.33, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. In being unsearchable, right, God's greatness um, cannot be found in one thing. I don't know about you, but for me, I, I want something quantifiable. I want to be able to point to one thing that is the reason or cause for something else. So I want to go, oh, well, God is great because of this. But we can't point to one attribute of God for his greatness or one thing he's done just for his greatness. It's just not possible. For all eternity, we'll marvel at God's splendor, his majesty and his greatness. We can't fully fathom the depth of any of this. That in fact, for those who follow Jesus, we are now and will be for an eternity be in the presence of greatness. We say that, don't we? I'm in the presence of greatness. No, we're not. One day, now and forever, we will be in the presence of greatness and it'll be our Lord Jesus Christ. Sam Storm says the best minds from all ages using the most advanced technology can't come close to capturing the glory of God. So we're made for praise and that praise belongs to God, the King. So can you say that he's your King? You can if you bowed to Jesus and submitted your life to him. He's the reigning King who died and rose for sinners like us. See, our king with unsearchable greatness died for sinners. Let that sink in. Our king, our king died for sinners. What kind of king does that? What kind of king would die, <laughs> would die for the absolutely the worst of sinners? So what gets you excited? Is it the football result on a Friday night where you might jump up and down um, praising players or teams with your hands in the air but then turn up on a Sunday morning to worship the God who saved you from death to life and struggle to even sing to him? Let alone raise a hand or allow the emotion of that rescue to spill out into your praise. What a privilege we have of giving praise to the great God. If none compare to him, our praise to him should be deeper and more passionate than our praise to other things. Then David goes on to prompt us and point to uh, praise God for his abundant goodness. Verses 4 to 7. One generation shall commend uh, your work to another and shall declare your mighty acts. O oh, the glorious splendor of your majesty and of your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Here's the good news, right? This infinitely great and majestic and powerful God is good. 
our mutual encouragement and reminding one another of God's greatness doesn't stop there. David tells us to share it with those in other generations, to tell them of his goodness. Here's how we start a legacy. Right, right here's how we start a legacy. One of my prayers for where... Because we have a love for that truth. It involves not just transferring information to someone else, but demonstrating our delight in God's goodness. That's what praise is. Nothing speaks greater to our kids or to our next generation than seeing men and women praising God through all circumstances. I can't remember who, who it was. I've got a feeling it was C.S. Lewis, but I could be wrong. Um, he said, give me a church full of noisy kids and men singing. That's all he wanted. Because face it, uh, us men, we're probably the worst, aren't we? So we have to consider what God has done in redemptive history so that our hearts will overflow with praise. For the next generation as much as for ourselves. This is how generational change happens. David continues on verse 8, he says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Now this is one of the most quoted passages in the Old Testament. You probably know it well or you may have heard it if you've been around church for any amount of time. Um, if nothing else, this should ignite our praise for God. Right? This is what God said of himself to Moses in Exodus uh, while it was true for Israel then at the foot of Mount Sinai, uh, it's all the more real for us now. So we're not saved from our rebellion against God because we have something to offer. Right? We're saved because he is gracious and merciful. Now, grace is his unmerited favour that God shows towards us. In the while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, not not we cleaned it up, not that we got 70% on our Ten Commandments exam and then he said, okay, you're allowed in. We've been saved because God is abundantly good. Paul tells Titus in Titus 3, he says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Sounds pretty right. But when the goodness and loving kindness of, our, of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us. Not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus our Saviour. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. For all eternity, we will be singing the Lord's goodness, his mercy and his grace, which he's shown us in Jesus. Now we read here in the ESV, it says uh, steadfast when it talks about God's love. I like this word. Um, and the Hebrew word that it comes from is not a love of emotion or circumstance or feeling, okay? But it's a love of will. It's a love of a decision, a commitment, a covenantial kind of love. I'll tell you why that's so powerful, right? 
Unlike in marriage where we intend on keeping uh, covenantal or covenant promises, that's what happens when we get married, um, we, we want to keep those, but we struggle to keep them. Let's be honest. God looks at his people and makes a commitment that he will keep them and it will be kept. See, these promises can't be broken because that would be to break his very name, break his very nature, or would not be who he is if he did. Then we're to uh, praise God for his kingly greatness. Verse 10, it says, All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. All that God has made should give thanks to him for his common goodness. And God's saints should give thanks to God for his saving goodness. Now, David goes on to make sure that we don't miss that God is not just great and not just good, but king. Right? He uses the term kingdom here four times in verses 11 to 13. So not only does he speak of this vertical responsibility to speak of the glory of the kingdom, but will declare king's might. Now, the might of his deeds and the splendor of his kingdom. Now, it's hard to make declarations or declare something or tell someone how good something is um, from the outside. Okay, I can't tell you how glorious and how splendid it is in space. Can't do it. Or in Tasmania, never been there either. I can only pass on what other people have said. If you've been there, you pass it on. If you are there, you sing it. Remember the surety it was um, when you first really remember, or maybe it's a renewal every time you sort of think about it, um, that you have a father that loves you and that will never let you go. Remember when you reflect on that and it actually becomes real to you each and every time? That nothing can separate you from that love that's found in Christ Jesus. And that love is actually an adopting love. It's a love that where you've been brought into his family brought into his kingdom, and that he'll never let you go. We can tell people about that. Every single one of us has been equipped to tell people about what it is like to have a loving father that holds you close. Because we all know it. Because if we stop exalting our king, if we stop praising our king, it's hard to start again. If, If COVID hasn't taught us anything... It should have taught us that. Remember, Jesus came first. He was proclaiming his kingdom. And we got to preview that glory and the start and just a hint of what that final kingdom would be. See, Jesus will return and bring his kingdom fully into reality. And we put our sure hope in that day. So King Jesus will see all things right and make all sad things disappear and put an end to all his enemies. Finally, David uh, tells us to praise God for his satisfying goodness. From the second half of verse 13, it says, The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. 
The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him and he hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. So God is not just the sovereign king, but he's also the gracious king. As the sovereign king, his rule extends uh, throughout the entirety of creation. As the gracious king, he actually sustains that creation with, with kind provisions. He, he's gracious, caring and loving in that way. The gracious king cares for creation in general. And he has a special care for those that are in relationship with him. See, God's provisions flow from his faithful, gracious and righteous character. At times we feel like we can't praise because of our weakness, right? Because you're not good enough, because you haven't done anything to be able to praise God with, um, as if like God won't accept it if you do. Like the idea to stand up and go, that God is just good. Just assume God is kind. God cares for me. And we think, no, no, I, I haven't done enough or I'm not good enough or I, I haven't got the right to be able to say that. But God is not about the praise of the strong and the well-adjusted. He likes that. God's kindness is displayed in the way he restores the fallen, we read. He helps those who are falling. He raises up the oppressed or the bowed down. One commentator says, Christ refuses none for weakness, but accepts none for greatness. Say that again. Christ refuses none for weakness, but accepts none for greatness. So your weakness or your limitations or what you're thinking of your failings isn't a limitation, but an opportunity to experience the Saviour's grace. God is mindful of the oppressed. He's mindful for those who are crushed in spirit. If you read this psalm, you go, look, I, I can't even say this. God wants you to know that, that he will lift you up. So the weary believer can say the same as David in Psalm 3, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. See, after making a statement about the righteous and the faithful character in verse 17 of God, David rejoices in God's willingness to hear and answer the cries of his people. Right? In whatever situation, you can call out to God. Whatever situation, whether you're in danger or you're hungry or you're sick, or you're anxious, scared. He says, if you're just calling out with integrity or in truth, he hears, he is near, he cares, and he comforts. Because God's sovereign, he's able to carry your burden. And because he's gracious, he's willing to carry your burden. All you have to do is take those to him. So we don't have to impress God with how proper we talk or nothing. You know, there's this common thing in Christianity where we, we like to say that Jesus saved you from your sin, right? True. True. That he died and rose again, uh, that he ascended into heaven and one day we'll rise too. 
and spend an eternity in heaven with him because uh, Jesus, in taking our sin, he actually gives us his righteousness so we'll stand spotless before a holy God. All true. But we miss at times what I think he did it for. See, saving us is not the end game. It's where we stop in our church. We go, you're saved, that's it. God wants a relationship with his children. God hears your prayers because he wants to hear from his children. He saved us into a relationship with him. Those who submit to God and walk his ways are his people and they can cry out to God for help. God is faithful and will respond. Maybe it's not the way we want to hear it. Maybe it's a wait, maybe it's a no, maybe it's a different way, but he does respond. So when I find myself with no praise in my heart, um, two pieces of scripture refresh my delight in God. It's the easiest way to put it, um, to where I can do nothing but praise him and that will look different for each and every one of us. Right? The Holy Spirit gives me a heart of thanksgiving for the lengths that God's gone um, to save me, to bring me back into that relationship with him. And one of them is Psalm 145 and the other which I feel reinforces this psalm from the New Testament. Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's think about that for a second. The God of all grace who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, not Chris, not one of the elders, not your mum and dad, not your kids, he himself will restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. When we look to Jesus, our King and Saviour, the source of our praise because even if you struggle, 1 Peter 5 promises that one day Jesus himself, God the Son, will come and restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. He's worthy of our praise, amen? I'll finish with this. D.L. Moody said, If a man just stops to think what he has to praise God for, he will find there is enough to keep him singing praises for a week. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you are a good God. Father, we thank you that you are a great God, that you are king and that you rule. Father, we thank you that you are gracious, that you are merciful, that you are steadfast in your love to us. Father, that we can see that in the love that you have for us in sending Jesus. Father, not just to, to die and take our punishment, not to just rise and conquer death, not just to ascend and, and be, um, be our advocate, but Father, that you called us to be in relationship with you now. Father, what more can we have to praise you with? Father, we ask that your spirit um, convicts us where we need convicting, strengthens us where we need strengthening, encourages us where we need encouragement. 
Father, we ask that your spirit comforts us and gives us hearts that want to praise you. Help us to make that decision and help our praises reflect your greatness and your goodness. And it's your precious son's name, King Jesus, that we pray.